Hello and welcome to Complete Caribbean, a Travel Pulse podcast all about the world's favorite warm weather destination, the Caribbean. I'm writer, editor, and Caribbean travel expert, Jet Set Sarah. And I'm Brian Major, managing editor here at Travel Pulse. We're happy to have you join us today as we discuss the ins and the outs of Caribbean travel and we share the latest info and intelligence on this wonderfully diverse region. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Complete Caribbean. We're so thrilled to have you here. Today is Wednesday, November 17th, and this is episode 15 of your favorite Caribbean travel podcast. We've been, it's been a while since we've been here. We're, I think we're about a week late, but that's because Brian and I have been traveling, but we're now back with the hottest and freshest news for you. Brian, I know you've got a lot of, to fill us in on today, right? I absolutely do. Just like you, I've been traveling the region, doing our doing our thing, and uh, there's always something to share. We have the links. All right, we definitely do. And as a surprise, guess what? We're going to start off this episode with the latest news about the ever-changing entry requirements for visiting Caribbean countries. I know that's a shock. Um, But this week, actually, the news revolves around changes that are happening specifically for vaccinated travelers. First, as of November 1st, St. Martin lifted its t- testing requirement for VAX visitors so that if you've already been jabbed, you no longer need to show proof of a negative COVID test to be admitted into the country. The Dutch island is the first island to have removed this testing requirement. Of course, you still have to apply online for travel authorization, and your vaccination cannot be more than a year old unless you show proof of a recent booster shot. Of course, if you want more details, we'll send you to the source, which is stmartinupdates.com. And then effective two days ago, on November 15th, Grenada removed the quarantine requirement for VAX visitors as well. Previously, visitors had to do a PCR test when they arrive and then quarantine at their hotel at their own expense until the results came back, which usually took about 48 hours. But now, if you're jabbed, and note, Grenada only accepts vaccinated visitors, Now, if you're jabbed, you'll do a rapid test on arrival, and as soon as you get a negative result, usually within an hour, you're free to roam. If you want more information about the new requirements, go to puregrenada.com. And I'm going to finish my little segment where there's some really exciting, long-awaited news. The Cayman Islands have announced they are opening to vaccinated travelers only beginning on November 20th. You know, the three island nation has been closed to visitors for most of the pandemic and had originally planned to open in October, but then they had a spike and they decided to delay. But they will be opening. Uh, You have to be vaccinated. And uh, now, because they're entering phase four, they did a phase eight recovery, and now they're entering phase four of their reopening. You just have to show proof of your vaccination and proof of a negative COVID test received within 72 hours when you apply online. And to apply online, you have to go to explore.gov.ky. So, you know, if you're vaccinated, the Caribbean is definitely opening a little bit wider to you. And it's a really big deal, I think Brian will agree, that the Cayman Cayman Islands after all this time, you know, they were very, very wary about opening, took the safety and security of their citizens very seriously. And it must be said, the Cayman Islands is in a position financially to do so, to postpone for this long, but they are finally opening and um, definitely good news for vaccinated travelers who wanted to get back to Seven Mile Beach and have a K-Brew. Ah, there you go, doing that, uh, doing those uh, typical Cayman activities. And yeah, we it, Cayman is an example of how each Caribbean destination 
forge its own um, program and its own uh, uh, step-by-step uh, process for uh, readmitting travelers based on their own individual, as Sarah points out, their own individual realities, their own government realities and their abilities. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to get back to Cayman, another another wonderful part of the part of the beautiful Caribbean uh, landscape. So now we also have some developments from one of our favorite destinations, Puerto Rico. Sarah and I travel here often. Um, the island's government is going to double, about double, its current spending on marketing and promotion initiatives through a $120 million in funds provided to the destination management organization Discover Puerto Rico through the American Rescue Plan. That's the government's, our government's uh, rescue plan for uh, for businesses and municipalities. Of course, Puerto Rico is a uh, part of the U.S. Uh, the funds were announced earlier this month by Pedro Perluisi, Puerto Rico's governor, and he said the island will allocate $50 million in the funds to promote Puerto Rico as a leisure destination. Another $20 million will go to encourage domestic tourism, and $10 million will be used to promote entertainment and conventions. And Puerto Rico is a big convention uh, uh, destination, uh, San Juan, and they're trying to do more of that. Another $30 million separately will be used to revitalize tourist attractions, natural resources, and public beaches, which are fantastic. All of those are fantastic in Puerto Rico. Those are part of the reason you go there. It's great to see they're spending money on that. The funding will also include increased spending on local tourism investment strategies through existing promotions. And the Discover Puerto Rico website will shortly debut a fully translated Spanish language version. Other initiatives will include digital campaigns targeting the island's first party audience of international visitors who Discover Puerto Rico says stay in the stay on the island longer and spend more money. And finally, the governor, Pier, Governor Pierre Luisi said Puerto Rico's strong post-pandemic visitor numbers indicate the destination can attract more visitors beyond the traditional winter peak travel season. If there are positives coming out of um, this awful situation, uh, this is a good example of them because uh, Puerto Rico, one of the great Caribbean destinations, will have more attention paid to it. And certainly any, I think a lot of these funds will also, this is part of a $4 billion that is going to Puerto Rico. And we know that the island needs it uh, for a variety of uh, initiatives uh, related to uh, infrastructure. So um, it's just good to see, and it's gonna be great for travelers. You know, I love Puerto Rico. I think it's, I think, you know, sometimes um, proximity can breed contempt. Isn't that what say? Closest breeds contempt. Right, right, Something breeds right. contempt. But, you know, yeah. but I don't think that people have contempt for Puerto Rico, but I think that it's often underrated. If you live on the on the East Coast, it's such a great, like, long weekend destination. Food, culture, the people, Perfect. history, right. the forts, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's a great you're destination. Not, you're, listening, think, folks, you're listening to a, to a, to a Puerto yeah. Rico San Juan expert, Sarah. Sarah yeah, has taken me places in San Juan that I like. <laughs> How did you know? Yeah, I, I need to get to know more of Puerto Rico in 2022, but someone I feel like I have a good handle on, and it's yeah. so much Remember fun. Remember the Limbers and guy? People overlook it, I think. Yes, Limber. Limber is like, for anyone who doesn't know, Limber, L I M B E R, is pronounced Limber, is like a sort of like a Puerto Rican version of a snow cone, kind of. Like an Italian. It's, um, 
like an Italian ice, right? It's not yeah. shaved ice, but it's just basically like an ice made in a little plastic cup that children get. Um, like on the way home, it'd be a, a, a really cheap thing to get, a little treat to get. And we met a guy who has been selling Limber. Brian and I were on a trip a few years ago, and we met a guy who's been selling selling Limber. And in a, from a, like a storefront, like I think his house, house actually, just next to El Convento Hotel in, in El San Juan. And it was he just, and sorry, in Old San Juan. And he had just such great stories to tell. Didn't he tell us that he used to work for American Airlines a long time ago? Yeah. Now, didn't he tell us that he served a Limber to Princess Diana? I, or did I, I making that up? I think he did, which I forgot to tell Karen. I feel like he did. Yeah, yeah. Fan, Anywho. Anywho, but I do I do think it's a great idea. It's great that they're having all these investments in Puerto Rico tourism. And my goodness, I'm shocked to know that the Discover Puerto Rico website did not was not fully translated into Spanish before. That's which not seems fully bizarre. So yeah, let's Rico get that done, Puerto Rico. Yes, which was okay. okay. Spanish. All right. So all right. So next for me, I'm going to tell you. Well, you remember? I think we've mentioned it at least once, maybe twice, that American Airlines is starting to offer the first ever nonstop service from Miami into the island of Anguilla. That starts on December 11th. So when we first reported this, we told you that the schedule was going to be twice weekly on a Thursday and a Saturday. Well, guess what? Everybody loves Anguilla the way I do, apparently, because last week, the airline and the, and the Anguilla Tourist Board announced that come January, the service will be increased to three times a week, with another flight being added on Mondays. All three days, flights will depart Miami at 10.50 in the morning, landing at 2.49 Anguilla time. They're an hour ahead of our East Coast time. And the return flights will leave Anguilla at 3.40 p.m. So you have plenty of time to squeeze in a little morning dip in the sea before you have to rush to the airport. And they'll arrive in Miami at 5.53 p.m. I'm really excited about this because, as you know, people always want to know, Sarah, what's your favorite island? And I always say I have four and Anguilla is one of them. Um, and I'm super duper excited because I'm actually going to be flying on December 11th on the inaugural, not from Miami to Anguilla, but from Anguilla's Clayton J. Lloyd Airport back to Miami on the 11th. So that'll be exciting. I know Anguilla and, and all the hotels and those resorts are really excited to have um, this service because, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, Brian, if previously, if you wanted to go to, to Anguilla from here, from the States, you had to either fly to St. Martin and take the ferry over or you could connect through St. Martin or Puerto Rico by air, and it's an eight-minute flight, just an eight-minute flight from St. Martin to Anguilla. But now you can go nonstop. So I don't know. I'd be like, I might have to come spend a few, do some little remote working in Anguilla now because it's so easy. Mm. <laughs> that could be an option. Well, you know, non, nonstop, nonstop, a big, a big difference and a big factor. And, hey, you're actually going to hear some more about Anguilla in this very mm -hmm. episode because we're going to have Stacey Liebert, who is Director of Tourism for the Anguilla Tourist Board, as our guest today. Um, but Sarah and I, again, one of Sarah and I's favorite islands, we love Anguilla, and to be able to go there direct is something special. But hey, Sarah, guess what? I have some St. Nevis news for this segment. Uh -huh. Hit me with it. Okay. For starters, this month, American Airlines launched daily flights between Miami International Airport and Nevis's and St. Kitts, Robert L. Bradshaw International Airport. The flights will operate through April 2nd, 2022. Now, to enter Nevis, 
you fly into St. Kitts and you take a boat over to mm -hmm. Nevis. It's about a 20 minute boat ride and it's part of the journey and it's really fun and it's really enjoyable and they give you a rum punch and a uh, beer on the boat and all of that. So it's <laughs> rum punch makes everything better. Makes everything better in the Caribbean. Now the service is going to expand to twice daily flights with Saturday and Sunday departures on December 18th of this year. The carrier will also uh, launch weekly flights to St. Kitts from Charlotte, North Carolina on the 18th and the full St. Kitts and Nevis flight schedule also includes weekly departures from New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport beginning November 20th. St. Kitts visitors and Nevis visitors who book before December 31st can participate in the winter escape promotion and that offers discounted resort rates, free nights on multi-night bookings, and complimentary breakfast for vaccinated travelers through April 30th, 2022. Vaccinated travelers, again. And uh, these exclusive benefits are available at the participating hotels, the Four Seasons Resort Nevis, the Montpelier Plantation and Beach, the Park Hyatt St. Kitts Christoph Harbor, the St. Kitts Marriott Resort and the Royal Beach Casino and the Royal St. Kitts Hotel. So plenty of good stuff going on there for St. Kitts and Nevis. I tell you, I love Nevis. Um, and, you know, you always hear that it's described as magical. And I remember before I went there the first time, I thought, oh, it's going to be high. I'm sure it's like, um, you know, another island, but it's not. Trust me, people. It really it really is magical. I have a uh, theory that it's magical because that, of that volcano right in the I, I, Right, I was right going there with the magic. The volcano you can see from everywhere on the island, mm -hmm. everywhere in the middle of the island, and you know you can hike it, and it's lush, and that's, there's sugar plantation ruins around the the the, the volcano. So, um, Nevis is magical. But you know, now we're going to segue from Nevis to another of our favorite islands. It's so funny because for, for Brian and I, practically every island is our favorite island. But we are delighted. They're to like, yeah, your favorite island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? But, um, I, you know, we always like to have people come on and talk about their destinations with us. And Brian was privileged. I unfortunately was away, but Brian was privileged to talk with Stacey Lieberg. She's the director of tourism for Anguilla's Tourist Board. And um, I'm really excited to hear what she had to say because, like I said, it's one of my favorite islands. And now they've got direct service and I can't wait to get there. So take it away, Brian. Hi, everyone. So now it's that time in the show, in our podcast, when we talk to a major Caribbean tourism official about what's happening on the ground and for Anguilla, which is our uh, our uh, kind of a highlight for us th this episode we have someone who is again we always bring you the the decision makers and the people who are the leaders in the in the territories and we're very happy to welcome Stacy Lieber who is the director of the Anguilla Tourist Board. Hi Stacy. Hi Brian thank you for having me I'm so happy to be here with you today. Thank you very much. You look wonderful. And so does that wonderful Anguilla background. <laughs> I wish our podcasters could see it, but if you go to Anguilla, you'll see it. <laughs> you will see it. Absolutely. I like what you said. Come to Anguilla and you'll, you'll definitely be able to see and experience um, what my, my screen looks like right now. <laughs> oh, it looks good. Take it from me, folks. So um, <laughs> when we're talking about traveling to Anguilla, what are the current entry requirements for visitors? I know they've, they've changed and you've adapted as time has gone on. 
Yeah, absolutely. We've we've made them more, um, you know, visitor friendly, uh, much more easier and inviting for our guests to to visit. Um, So right now, much like all the other Caribbean islands, you must be fully vaccinated, right? And 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 I want to because with so many vaccines out there, I really want to share what are the accepted vaccines. So the Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Moderna. We also um, are accepting those who are have mixed vaccines. Of course, again, mixed vaccines between Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Moderna. So nothing that we've never heard of before <laughs> before that just popped up <laughs> this year, we're not accepting. Um, at least um, seven days prior to your arrival, you will need to visit our iVisit Anguilla website and complete our application. Um, During this time, you'll need to, of course, upload your proof of vaccine. And then also, we are requiring you to take a COVID test. So we now accept four tests, um, which is the RT-PCR test, the NAA, the RNA or the molecular test or an antigen test. Now, with the exception of the antigen tests, the other three tests must be submitted two to five days prior to arrival. The antigen test has to be submitted um, no more than 48 hours um, prior to your arrival. Now, once you get your test results, you go online, you upload them um, back to your application and you will get your pre-approval and the system will prompt you to pay $50 per person, which will cover your entry test. And once you make the payment, you, you are able to access your entry certificate. Upon your arrival, you will receive another test and you will just stay in place at your hotel or your accommodations. Now, it's not saying that you need to stay in your room. It just means you need to stay on your property um, until you are cleared of that entry test. And then that, after that, you're free to roam the, the island at will. Sounds well, easy, right? That is, uh, that is clear and, uh, and they ate. <laughs> A, a both a practical and uh, convenient. And uh, if you're going to stay in place on one of Anguilla's resorts for 24 hours, yeah. I think that's going to be okay. I, I think, think that's, gonna, yeah. And we're trying to turn them around in 12 hours, actually. We're trying to turn them around. But, you know, on the off chance that we have one of our machines down or on that day we receive a group, um, you know, we just want to say we want to make sure that we meet your expectations. So we say in our site um, 24 hours, but we're trying to get them back to guests as soon as possible. So your vacation can begin. There you go. Now, (laughs) Anguilla is a it's a small destination. Um, Caribbean destination and um, management of of the of the pandemic is yes. even more important uh, in the small community. Um, um, Stacey, what is the state of infection there and current cases? Uh, um, and just a, the picture generally, even vaccination, if you can talk. Oh, about okay. That. So um, I'm going to really applaud, take this moment now to applaud my, you know, the government of Anguilla and our health team and officials who really um, did a great job in keeping us safe. I, I, I can't say that enough. And since November 12th, we have, these are current cases, right? Um, we have 80 active cases, 78 of which 
um, are isolated and two are hospitalized. Um, I've been informed that one hospitalization has been released. So we just really have one person hospitalized at the moment. Um, And now for the overall picture, confirmed cases to date is about 1,137. And in recovered cases is 1,053. And total deaths, it's it's four. So as you can tell, the numbers, um, according to our population, is really, really, um, is very low. And, And that is... Um, really because of, you know, the government, the medical team. And also, I think initially your management was strict of the the protocols. I know that. Yes, yes, we really were. And I I, I think that's in the beginning, um, you know, visitors were, you know, a little saying that, oh, my gosh, you're protocols are so strict. You don't want people to visit the island. But that wasn't the case. We had to look at our infrastructure and what we could manage as a destination or a small destination. We have one public hospital, we have a private um, healthcare facility, and really, we really couldn't handle, you know, an outbreak, you know, heaven forbid. So we really needed to keep things um, very strict and, and along the way streamline as we go along, right? To us be able to assess where we are and what we can afford to pull back. But out the gate, we needed to be really strict. And you know what? I am thankful for it because for at least a year, we had no cases. Right. None. And I think up until we had a small cluster in April, we had under 30 cases. So we were really doing, we, you know, those protocols really um, safeguarded not only the community, but also our visitors. When you talk about the visitors, did you find that, and we found this in, I have to say most of the destinations, did you find that the cases were based in tourist areas mainly, or was it community spread, or was there a mix of that? Or well, I want to. That did emerge. Where right. Did I want to. I want to clarify because there's a difference between community spread and there's a difference between cluster. What we have, we have not had any community spread. What we've had are different clusters where, let's say, you know, someone from home. Um, yes. got the, the, the COVID and then it's, it's folks within the family. Within, that's it, within that person's circle. Right. And then, so it never really spread out to the, um, the community. And I have to say that of the numbers that I shared earlier, maybe 5%, even less were imported cases. So most of it, it was really from the clusters that we started getting around April, May, which is, I would say about when people were either returning home or when people felt more comfortable and they were traveling. So we were seeing more of that. Um, and, and again, it continues to be cluster. We have not um, to date had any community spread, which again, I'm really, really, really thankful for. That is an important clarification, and, and for thank, sure. thank you. For that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, again, it speaks to to, to sound management and uh, and 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 effective policies. Um, so, when we talk about that again, how did how did you feel about balancing these goals, ensuring public health, which yeah. is number one, and yeah. um, and uh, maintaining some to- or creating an environment to resume some tourism activity, which is which right. is number two because that is you know that is a 
uh, economic base that talks to the. Of course, listen, I could tell you it was not easy because remember, we're a destination that's uh, solely dependent on tourism. Um, but we had to factor in, um, you know, slow and steady. We needed to make sure the safety of the destination because listen, if our residents aren't safe, they're not going to be in a position to serve our guests, right? And we won't be able to get back to to business as it is, right? So it was really a great collaborative effort. I, I really can't applaud our government enough. It really was a great um, collaborative effort between the government of Anguilla, the Ministry of Health, and also the private sector. Everyone really came together, really sat down, talked about the protocols, and said, okay, this is where we need to be right now. And we will take, you know, small steps into getting to a place where we can say, okay, we're happy with where the protocols are. And I think we can now slowly, you know, open and welcome our visitors on a larger scale and do that very safely. So I think right now we're in a good position. Um, but I can tell you, Brian, I know that, um, you know, in the months to come, I am sure we're going to take a another step forward in even relaxing a bit more right now we still have to look at our you know cruising industry and our yachting industry though we don't accept large cruise ships we do accept the smaller you know 300 folks and under and so we need protocols that will advise you know the movement of, of that and then also you know we have folks in we have a good relationship with um you know say martiners wanting to come and visit anguilla or guests who are visiting um, St. Martin and want to come for the day in Anguilla. So right now we're deciding on what those day tripper protocols will look like. So we still have some work to do. And I, and, and I think you will see those come out in about the next couple of weeks or so. Um, as we move forward um, for festive, we want to make sure that we are welcoming of everyone as much as we possibly can. But also what will always be paramount is the safety of the destination and the people that reside here and the people that visit here. Right. Outstanding. There is a, there is a lot <laughs> you're pointing there out. There's a lot that remains to be done. Right. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about um, protocols and I, I see we're getting close um, to our time limit. We could talk all day, but, um, <laughs> about Anguilla, but uh, you are an Anguillan. Um, let me ask you two questions. Um, when I, it, now when I visit there, will I be able to do, most of the things that you call it that are part of a tip, typical Anguilla experience, number one. And Absolutely. what do you like to do? Oh, what okay. do you recommend that people do when you're, <laughs> when you're at home? That's a great question. That's my favorite question thus far. I, um, right now, if you visited Anguilla, everything is open. Everyone is open. You're going to be able to visit the destination and be able to participate in your favorite activity, whether it's, you know, going to Sandy Island, one of our offshore keys to have whether it's hopping on a boat and going around the island, whether it's, you know, kayaking, whatever water sports, or even just jumping in a moke and going around the island, you will be able to do it all. There's nothing that's not operational at the moment, and there's nothing that's closed. People are open and they're ready to, you know, to welcome visitors. One of my favorite things to do is I love 
I'm not really, I don't think I'm an adventure seeker um, as such, but one of the things um, that I love to do is really surrounding food and music. So I have some great restaurants that I love to dine at on the weekend. My husband and I like to venture out and that's really our time to come down. But we both lead very busy, you know, lives. And so it's our time to kind of sit down and, you know, enjoy each other, but also to, to give back right to this amazing community and what it has to offer. So On a Friday, you know, we like to go to maybe Blanchard's Beach Shack because it's more casual. And, you know, we have some rum punches and have, you know, one of their big bowls um, that you could mix. And it's great because other locals and and visitors are out. So it's good to kind of chat them up. And then on Saturday, I love to go to Capchaluca's new restaurant. It's um, Peruvian themed um, called Uchu. And there, one of my favorite bands performed there on a Saturday night. And so it's great to kind of sit down and enjoy that atmosphere. One of the things I love about Anguilla is the fact that none of the properties, um, they're cut off from accepting residents or other visitors who are staying at other properties. So it's always good because you get to go out and meet people from all walks of life and, and enjoy talking with them. So as you can see, it's really, I could give you a whole list of, you know, bands and musicians that I enjoy in restaurants. We would be here for another hour easy, but oh, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's just, just some of the things I really enjoy doing on my downtime. Oh my goodness. You just, you did a little, uh, kind of travelogue there, and, and, and it's, it's wonderful. We didn't even talk about boats, boat racing season. So, oh, I mean, gosh. you know, oh boy. So, there's so much to do. There's a lot to do. We're a small destination, but really, we have a lot. A lot of people think that we're just, you know, beach and, you know, food and luxury accommodations. We're that and much more. There's a lot that you really can do here and enjoy. Terrific. Well, thank you, Stacey. Again, we could talk forever, but we, we have a time limit. So uh, <laughs> that means we'll just have to schedule some more time to talk at another time. It, a pleasure, a pleasure always. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being with us today on uh, Complete Caribbean. You too, Brian. Thank you. Well, that was a great conversation with Stacy. She had so much news to fill us in on. Good job, Brian. It just makes me want to go to Anguilla all the more. But anyway, before I get to Anguilla, because I told you I'm going next month, but before I get to Anguilla, we're going to move on to our latest section, which is our um, island inbox. As you know, this is things that have just come across Brian's desk and my desk that we feel like we wanted to share. So I have to tell you, I'm really excited about this one. This, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I'm an avid runner and I've really run races all around the Caribbean. But one event that I haven't done yet and that I'd really like to do is Jamaica's Reggae Marathon, which is they've been running that in the grill since 2001. So it was 20 years old last year. Unfortunately, last year, the, la- the in-person race was canceled, obviously, for obvious reasons. But this year, for the second time, the Reggae Marathon has gone virtual. For the non-runners out there, that means that you can register and run your preferred distance. And there are four of them this year. There's a 5K, which is new this year, a 10K, a half marathon, or a marathon. So you register and you can run that distance on the route of your choosing anywhere you like. You just pay the $60 entry fee. You register online at reggaemarathon.com. And then anytime between now and December 5th, 
you run your distance, upload your time to the website, and then da 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 da. Somehow you get your entry T-shirt and your reggae marathon bling. So so far, runners. I check the website, and so far, <laughs> runners from sixteen countries have already entered um, to do the virtual reggae. And you know what? This year, I think I just might be one of them. I'm not promising. I'm definitely not doing the marathon. I'm not promising to do the half because I'm actually in training for Miami. But I think I might. I might register to do the ten k. You gonna do it with me, Brian? Well, my erstwhile co-host, <laughs> it is difficult to live up to your. <laughs> level of expertise in physical pursuits, but we'll discuss this. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll table uh, that for another episode. Yeah. I, you know, my co-host is a, is a multiple threat in terms of, uh, you know, physical, Ooh. you know, prowess. So she's a runner and, you know, and she's weightlifter and all that stuff. So, you know, I got to, you know, I, I've been an athlete in my day, but I got to, you know, I got to <laughs> ready. <laughs> Translation, no. Moving on. <laughs> Brian will not be running it, but okay. Audience, uh, she knows me well. <laughs> um, so why don't we move on to, uh, I told you, we had Nevis news today, right? Uh, so we did a little bit about, uh, talking a bit about uh, access, but I spoke also recently with Jadine Yard. She's CEO of the Nevis Tourism Authority. And she was talking about the island's post-outbreak tourism strategy and the environment for vacationers who are traveling to this destination. It's a beautiful, pristine destination, as we know. She said a few things. I want to make a few points that she pointed out. She, she said Nevis was, of course, among the more strict Caribbean destinations with regard to entry requirements, pandemic entry requirements. So as a result, she said it was great news that the government recently reduced on-property quarantine times to 24 hours. She believes this will encourage travelers to visit during this crucial winter season. Jadine also said, NTA completed a survey of a thousand participants asking them, what do you want to do during your vacation? And what do you love about Nevis? Part of the result is a new focus on the island's health and wellness activities and attributes. Now that means in addition to highlighting the deluxe spa and health and fitness facility facilities at its luxury resorts, NTA is spotlighting local yoga and healing providers and has created an approved farm tour that utilizes, that showcases farms that utilize um, organic uh, techniques. And as we know, Nevis is a very lush island, so there's, there's some wonderful farms as a part of that program. Now, finally, she said Nevis has many outstanding resorts, but still, they're not all yet open. The pandemic, the outbreak, impact is still there. Um, She said closed properties do present a challenge for the destination, and there are only four resorts open right now on Nevis. The Four Seasons Nevis, the Golden Rock Inn, the Montpellier Plantation Beach, and Paradise Beach Nevis. She did say operators are working on getting the the others back up and running. And uh, it is a small island, but it is known for having multiple boutique resorts that are, you know, distinctive. So uh, it's part of the appeal of Nevis. And believe me, the local economy is, is, is waiting to get closer to full to what was happening in terms of visitor totals prior to the pandemic. And so we're still in this a bit, folks. And, uh, you know, we're still coming back. Yeah, but you know that, but here's the thing, though. It hasn't, even though they're not 
I mean, they have technically reopened, but even though their tourism product isn't fully up and running, that doesn't mean that innovation has stopped because ah, I have my own little piece of Nevis news. Nevis is getting a lot of airtime today. Yeah, it's um, good but, but, I, but I was really intrigued by this idea that I heard about. Apparently, there's a new company on Nevis. It's appropriately, appropriately called Graze, which will prepare and set up bespoke picnics at locations all across the island for you. Local entrepreneur Anuska Anslin and her team offer a range of luxury picnic menus from charcuterie boards to snackable grazing boxes that serve one to six people and range in price from about 55 to 145 EC dollars. At a moment when we want all, we are looking for more space, we don't want to be crowded, and it's been shown that eating outside dramatically reduces the chance of transmitting COVID. I think this is a really timely and innovative and creative idea. And if you do too, and if you're going to need this soon, maybe you want to book your own alfresco feast at Fresha, that's F-R-E-S-H-A, Fresha. Dot com, but I think it's I think it's a great idea. I mean, who wouldn't, wouldn't want to have someone else prepare the picnic, set up the table in this beautiful pastoral, you know, environment on magical Nevis? Come on, sign me up. This couldn't this couldn't be better. I mean, folks, this is a this is awesome. You're you're utilizing local providers. You're you, you're having local produce, and you know they're going to know the best place to set up your, you know, their residents. So, and then you're interacting with them. So, you know, this is about as vision as you're going to get. So, so it, it, that sounds great. Fresha, fresha.com. Very good. Very good, Sarah. Sarah always gets this. Sarah, you know, that's why we're pals. She knows what's going yeah. on. Yeah, you keep me informed, Brian. What else you got to tell me? Okay. <laughs> well, I want to, you know, I want to end on a, a somewhat serious note, but, uh, you know, it's something that we need to talk about. And Sarah and I talk about ourselves mm-hmm. often. We talk about these yep. subjects. Um, and I wrote recently about plantation tours, tours of plantations in the U.S. and in the Caribbean. And how these tours, uh, there are even weddings held today at plantations in the U.S. South and in the Caribbean. And they're popular with uh, a segment of travelers. At the same time, for people like myself and travelers like myself, um, plantation tours prevent what I consider obvious challenges and a distinct discomfort. You know, this past week I wrote a Travel Pulse article that explores what I consider innovative plantation tours in the U.S. and the Caribbean that emphasize accurate depictions on what plantation life entails for all of its residents. Um, one great example is Martinique's Les Savants d'Esclaves, which stands, which is French, which is Creole really, for the Savannah of the Slaves. It's a two-hectare open-air museum that replicates a post-slavery era indigenous village and farm. It's a working farm utilized today um, locally. It was conceived by a local, a man named Gilbert LaRose, a black uh, native of uh, Martinique, and he cultivates organic produce and plants that feature medicinal qualities utilized for generations by African and Caribbean people. Now, on the farm's grounds is a museum, and it's really the site's emotional centerpiece. He's create, LaRose has collected an array of paintings, sculptures, and historical drawings, and photographs that offer a frank and accurate documentation, documentation of slavery in Martinique and the Caribbean. 
and it includes sobering depictions of slave revolts and the sale of slaves and paintings of African captives leaping from transatlantic vessels to escape bondage. Now, while Al-Saban documents a tortured history filled with incredible suffering, it also incorporates uplifting facets, including a history of the enslaved Martinique citizens' transition to freedom following the end of the institution in Martinique in, 19, in 1848, 1848. Elsewhere in the Caribbean, travelers to Curacao's West Punt neighborhood in the Ochobanda district will find the Cura Hulanda Museum. This museum is focused on Curacao's predominant cultures and it chronicles slavery's devastating impact on Curacao's African population and also documents post-slavery society, post-slavery society, and features one of the Caribbean's largest displays of African artifacts. I really believe plantations of this type are a crucial element in forging a fact-based depiction of the narrative for culturally driven travelers. There's a space in our language and in our conscience for truth-telling and the accuracy. We, we, we're not denying anything that happened. We just want to be truthful about it and present the whole picture. So I think those places do that. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a difficult subject and it's something that we don't really want to talk about at all. Um, but, you know, the, particularly for the, you know, the, the roots of Caribbean um, travel are based in colonialism. You know, when, when the colonists came to the Caribbean and the people, the people came to visit them, those were the first tourists. So um, we don't necessarily want to talk about it, but we have to talk about it because that's our history and we have triumphed and, um, you know, I just, th- I just think it's important to honor our past as we look to the future. Well, thank you for that, Brian. Um, I also want to do a little shout out to Wade's Green Plantation in the Turks and Caicos Islands. They also have an excellent tour that really centers the experiences of the enslaved people rather than the people who enslaved them. And if you're ever on um, North Caicos, you really should go and see it. Anyway, believe it or not, uh, we've jam-packed 10 tons of news in, and uh, we're getting the wrap-up sign now, so <laughs> it's time to go, but we would never leave without thanking you. Yeah, we would never leave Brian and I without thanking you for listening. We really appreciate um, that you listen to us, because you know there's a million and one podcasts you could listen to, so thanks for keeping it complete Caribbean. Please like us, share us. Do all those things. Let people know that we're out here giving you all that Caribbean news. And we will see you soon on this same bat channel.